These are the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Episode 32, Trauma Healing Learnings, Peripheral Friends. Life can change in the blink of an eye. My heart goes out to all those who dedicate their lives to working in trauma. There certainly are risks for them every day. One of those risks is secondary trauma. I began to think a good amount about this during the first week in the ICU as things started going badly. Secondary trauma is understood to be a similar experience to primary trauma, but it's induced by simply being around others who are traumatized. It was hard enough for me to observe Archer. I think of those working in ICUs having to witness day in and day out horrible accidents and incredible human suffering. There is a secondary trauma distress order called compassion fatigue, which many of you might have heard of as well. Compassion fatigue has also been studied as a risk for those who choose to work in trauma as their occupation, especially for mental health workers. Well, secondary trauma, like trauma, has a sort of numbing out impact. We've talked about that. Where there can be functioning, even high functioning for long periods of time, there are still emotional trigger points. So you might ask then, what is compassion fatigue? Well, it's a sort of burnout. It's um, like a wearing down of one's zest for living. And compassion fatigue over time can negatively alter frontline trauma workers or, or mental health professionals' views of themselves, seeing the vicious cycles that patients don't change and just keep coming back. The medical workers begin to have an altered view of their own world, even a cynical view, and lose their own sense of meaning. Does that make you sad? This makes me sad. For those so dedicated to helping others, it also makes a lot of sense to me. I have personally trained medical staff, police, street violence interventionists, and emergency response personnel over the years in conflict transformation skills as a life skill set for crisis intervention, but not only to help others, but to stay grounded themselves. But both the numbing out and a loss of a certain zest of life, you know, a joie de vie, are similar phenomena that can happen for veterans and others exposed to warfare too. I bet this might ring a bell for many of you. And in my work over the years in the inner city, 
it has helped to explain, at least in my mind, the epidemic of violence for those living in drug-torn, dangerous neighborhoods. The numbing that the body does to protect itself for survival is very powerful in all these contexts. But you don't have to live in the inner city or fight for our country in the war or choose a career in emergency response to experience secondary trauma. I mean, a regular diet of Call of Duty and other similar video games and violent movies can have the same impact over time. You may not have known that, or maybe you did, but yeah, especially long-term damage for children. The human brain is not fully developed until we're in our mid to late 20s. And I don't know about you, but this knowledge for me changed a lot of my parenting when I was just starting to have babies and definitely as the digital age grew. I was happy to know about it. Hard as it is to shelter children, especially boys and their friends, or maybe for you, your sons and your grandchildren from playing those games for endless hours. Well, we can at least not ever buy them or give them as gifts. And we can talk to the boys about why. It interests me a great deal because I have a hope that we will all live joyfully, even in the midst of pain and suffering that does happen. And certainly to choose living a life of joy by not choosing violence and other harmful images that impact our thinking, which impacts our bodies and our health. I wonder what you think about that. Now, we may not be able to choose a life without accidents and without suffering, but we can choose to live without exposing ourselves regularly to digital violence. There is a direct connection to trauma and numbing and violent video games. If this interests you, write me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. I have been and continue to be interested in everything related to the experience of trauma and loss and the experience of conflict, mind, body, and soul. I think it helps us understand our world better when we can understand more about trauma. I do. And it helps us to be hopeful when we can understand more about trauma healing. I love to see new trends that foster more understanding of trauma. I mean, one of the emerging trends that I'm following, and I hope one that will make great inroads, is trauma-informed care in the medical community. You might be part of this growing field. Well, if so, I would like to offer another lens through which to view and understand trauma-informed care. 
a trauma healing lens for trauma-informed healing care. (laughs) I think of a trauma healing lens as a kaleidoscope. You know a kaleidoscope. You know, you'd hold it up like a pirate spyglass to the light and you turn that outer ring and voila, the most beautiful stained glass shapes and designs can delight you for hours or at the very least put you in awe for at least a moment, depending on how you look through it. That is how I view trauma and tragedy. That if we hold these experiences up to the light and view them through the kaleidoscope lens, we can see that many things are possible. And no one design is exactly the same as anybody else's. It's so beautiful and very hopeful to me. I don't even think we've scratched the surface to see what is possible in ICUs as we become more trauma healing informed. Okay, in that spirit, I'll share with you one last consideration for this episode where I was and remained concerned about the use of narcotics in hospitals. It has long been known that those who work in trauma are also at risk for their own substance abuse. (laughs) I know this well because of my work on a state board of physicians. The rationale for understanding why trauma docs are at such high risk is long hours, exhausting work, and easy access to narcotics. I always thought that might not be the full picture. But it was not until I was face-to-face in the ICU with the situation with Archer, who had been prescribed so many narcotics by the trauma doctors, and then was given that large dose of fentanyl for that unexplained, excruciating internal head pressure, that I began to wonder about opioids. And that led me to another way of viewing the opioid crisis, which I will choose also to see through a kaleidoscope lens. A new way of looking at the opioid epidemic that we are all aware of is raging and ravaging our country, in our inner cities, in our rural countrysides, and in white, middle-class America. It is. It's no longer an epidemic confined to the most impoverished neighborhoods. I've thought about this for a long time. And I thought about this a lot while I was bedside with Archer. It seemed to me that the trauma nurses and doctors not just at Atlantic Care, but possibly in hospitals across the country, might actually be contributing to the opioid problem and epidemic, and not because of access, and not because of long hours and exhaustion, and not because of being incentivized by the pharmaceutical companies 
and not because of compassion fatigue, but because of a response to human suffering. Imagine if you worked in trauma day in and day out. Yes, some trauma professions do have specialized training because of that. But how many are trained in trauma healing? How many are trained in breath work for oneself? How many are trained that it's through what you think and believe that you can heal the body? How many are trained in alternative pain alleviation methods? How many doctors and nurses feel supported emotionally, mentally, physically, every day to continue to do their work? How many have a spiritual practice? I shared with you in the companion story how much I felt supported by peripheral friends. How is it that trauma nurses and doctors can be supported in new ways or peripheral ways that they too may have taken for granted, but can be seen in a new light? Resources that are right there in front of them, with them, all along, and resources that neither require a prescription nor a consent form. We know that trauma in hospitals is real. I believe that trauma can be lessened dramatically with trauma healing informed practices. I do. And a related view I offer for your consideration and compassion is that secondary trauma for doctors and nurses in ICUs is very real. But that it is not just a hazard for trauma doctors and nurses. It's a hazard for patients. That's right. Without trauma healing informed practices, secondary trauma as experienced by doctors and nurses in ICUs is a hazard for hospital intensive care patients. And this is why. Secondary trauma comes from witnessing pain. Opioids are dispensed easily and quickly to reduce pain. Trauma teams do this to reduce their own pain, their own pain of watching others' pain that's unbearable to witness day in and day out. It's something for us to consider as part of understanding this complicated issue we can't seem to get our arms around or do something about in our country. Secondary trauma may be a primary reason 
for the proliferation of the opioid epidemic and scourge. That's a lot to consider for us. And I will leave it at that for now. (laughs) In closing, we have so much to consider for trauma and trauma healing, don't we? I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a national dialogue about this for more compassionate trauma healing informed ICU policies that might be considered for staff and medical students, medical students trained in trauma healing and in different options for pain management that very few Western doctors might even know about now or very few hospitals may realize even exist, including modern medicine that we're learning from our military, light and sound medicine, just for starters. The kaleidoscope for what is possible for trauma healing informed medicine is beautiful and very hopeful. I hope you have enjoyed this trauma healing learning. To listen to the story behind this learning, tune in to episode 32, Peripheral Friends. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. I wanted to let you know that in just one more episode from now, we will be taking a break and then coming back with season two and picking up with Archer's story right where we left off. Make sure you stay subscribed to wherever you get your podcasts, because although we are wrapping up this season, we will be releasing some bonus interviews you don't want to miss. And we will then be back later this spring with the next season. So please remember to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And I'll be with you soon for our final episode of season one. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at BaltimoreMediation.com. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. To hear the story behind this trauma healing learning, tune in and listen to episode 32, Peripheral Friends. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>